appreciate the music this morning. Will you just say amen? It's been good, hasn't it? Um, we need to pray before we uh, open our Bibles this morning. And uh, we need to remember we've had uh, people that have been sick and some have gotten well. And we praise the Lord for that. We've got people that are going through times of grief. John Rawson's mother passed away. We need to remember them. We've got people that are home watching us right now that are going through various things. And uh, it's kind of difficult during these times to keep everything connected. So be sure and let us know if you've got something going on or if you've got a surgery or something like that. We want to be involved by uh, praying for you. So will you uh, join me in a word of prayer? Father, today we pray that you would draw our hearts to you, make us responsive to you, to the moving of your spirit, to your word, that we might honor you in our hearts as we ought to, and that our lives might be changed as they ought to be changed, that we would leave here being better in our service to Christ, better in our love for you, better in our walk with you, better in our understanding of your truth, just to be better in everything that we can. And we know that this is more than just self-improvement or personality development. This is the work of the Holy Spirit as you transform us according to your mighty power and you change the way that we think. Now all of us recognize this morning our thinking is flawed from the first time we take a breath. And our thinking continues to be flawed when we go by our own natural thoughts or ideas or we conform to the world around us. The media will... Tell us things, some things factual, but much of it trying to philosophize us or to slant things a certain way. Entertainment does the same thing. Music will do the same thing. And Lord, what we need today is to have the proclamation of your word to bring our minds in line with you. How you think, what you have decreed, what you have declared, what you have planned, what you were doing. We don't want to be in opposition. We want to be lined up with your will and with your heart. We also, Lord, as we pray and as we think, we want to be merciful and we want to be compassionate people. And as we see people that are struggling through life, whether they're lost or saved... I pray, Lord, our first thought wouldn't be to judge them or to criticize them for something they could have done better, for that would come back to haunt us as well. May our first consideration be mercy upon them. For you said in your word, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that's what we want. May we have compassion to be able to help wherever we can. And may we always be walking by faith and not by sight. So for those among us who are afraid, give them confidence. For those among us who are bewildered, give them clarity. For those among us who are facing life-changing decisions, give them clarity as to the will of God and confidence that you walk with them through that. We pray, Father, for those who are getting ready to face surgeries and things of that nature. We pray that you would heal them and bring them through that. For those who are recovering, thank you that you are healing them and taking care of them. Thank you for people who got good news this week about their health and bless those who got bad news maybe. 
And help those who are grieving. And may in all these things, may we see the power, the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. And thank you for Jesus who brings all of this into perspective. We are eternal beings. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can spend eternity with you. And we look forward to that. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you to turn to the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus. And you can see on the screen there's a picture of the Nile River and pyramids and all of that because the Nile River was extremely important to ancient Egypt. In um, the times in which Moses was confronting Pharaoh, the Nile was uh, the water source. For everything. Egypt doesn't really get rain. It's a desert place. And without the Nile, there wouldn't be anybody there. And so there's a a time of judgment that is beginning now. And I want to just challenge you to think about something. Because sometimes people say, do you think God is going to judge America? I think God already has judged America. I think we're just seeing the consequences of that judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, the word judgment just simply means an appraisal. We do that every day. When you go to a grocery store and you're going to buy apples, you don't just buy any apples. You buy the best ones. You buy the right variety. You make a judgment about the apples. Do I want golden delicious? Do I want the yellow ones? Do I want the Granny Smith? Or do I want Gala or any of those things? There's all kinds of uh, varieties there. And you make a judgment as to which one you want, which would be the best. And we do that in all kinds of situations. Now, I want you to think about the judgment of God is simply God making an appraisal. And he does that even with nations. Now, nations don't live in eternity, so God judges them now. People are judged in eternity, but God makes a judgment now. And When the Bible talks about the judgment of God, you may not even know what happens. The people uh, in the nation may not even be aware of of it happening. Because in Daniel chapter 5, there is a story there about a king holding a banquet. You remember that? And while they are partying, there's a finger that comes and writes on the wall. You've heard of the handwriting on the wall. That's where it comes from. Many, many tekel ufarsin. They didn't know what it meant. And so Daniel interprets it. And one of the things that he says in there, that the handwriting on the wall told the king, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know what that means? God has already made an appraisal that your kingdom is bad, it is wicked, and then he tells him you're about to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. The Persian Empire is coming. But that phrase, you have been, not you are being, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You see, God has already judged Egypt. The judgments of God are not the fire and brimstone or the uh, enslavement or anything like that. Those are the 
consequences of judgment. If you murder someone and you go before trial and you stand before a jury, they find you guilty, the judge pronounces your sentence. The sentence is because of the judgment, because of the appraisal, you are guilty, because of the conviction, and then the sentence is the consequence of that. So as we look at Egypt, they've already been judged, now the consequences began to happen. And the first one we find concerns the Nile River and the river turning to blood. Let's see how that happens. And if you will uh, go on down to uh, verse, let me find it here, 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. That's an understatement. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, to the river, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod uh, which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed... Until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord. Now here's kind of the key to the, all of the plagues. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Verse 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Say to Aaron. Take your rod. And stretch out your hand. Over the waters of Egypt. Over their streams. And over their rivers. Over their ponds. Over their pools of water. That they may become blood. And there shall be blood. Throughout all the land of Egypt. Both in buckets of wood. And pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river and in the sight of the Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water, in other words, it was public, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went to his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink. They're desperate because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Interesting story and kind of a gross story. And uh, you think maybe this might get anyone's attention. And I think it certainly should. Now whether they understood it or whether they got the meaning of it, that's a different matter. Different matter entirely. And so we look at this and we see as God begins to pour out the consequences of judgment upon the nation of Egypt, maybe there's something we can learn about our own nation and our own society as well. 
Because number one, would you notice that this judgment is poured out upon empty and false religion. Now that seems to be a consistent theme throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Whether it is a, 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 a pagan empire like Egypt, or whether it is the people of God in Israel or in Judah. What happened? When their worship became empty, meaningless rituals, God poured out the consequences of judgment, didn't he? And uh, now here we find Pharaoh going to the river, and Moses and Aaron are told, meet him at the river. So we know one thing, it was the habit of Pharaoh to go to the river. Why was he going to the river? Probably to bathe, probably to bathe. But there is the strong likelihood that there was some religious ritual or ceremony that was attached to this. You see, Pharaoh is a very religious man, very religious. And the Egyptians were very religious people, but they were serving the wrong God and they were doing it in the wrong way. And so uh, as Pharaoh is going, God doesn't just simply say, you know, Pharaoh's a good guy, he's sincere, he's just kind of mixed up. That's not the case at all. He's a hard-hearted man who is doing his own thing and he's doing it for his own glory because he thinks he's a descendant of the gods. And they even thought that the Nile River was a god. They called the flooding of the Nile the appearance of the god. It's H-A-P-I in some manuscripts. Is that happy or hoppy? I don't know. And uh, they would worship him and welcome his appearance and they would uh, pray to him and look forward to that because the flooding of the Nile was what watered the pastures and it's also what fertilized the fields, all the silt from the river. So perhaps Pharaoh was going to thank the Nile for all that it had given him and all that it was giving the land. We don't know for sure, but most likely it had some type of significance there. But the whole land was filled with religion and the worship of idols and the judgment of God comes upon them for that. Secondly, you'll notice that judgment also uh, is one of those things that maybe uh, the Egyptians would not really think about or really expect to happen here because the judgment of God that comes upon them is going to affect a presumptive lifestyle. A presumptive, what do we mean by that? Okay, let's go back and let's say, Pharaoh, um, this appearance of Moses and Aaron, this is going to be trouble and the empire might fall apart. And Pharaoh might say, not as long as we have the Nile River. And in their minds, the Nile River was a god. The Nile River had always been there. And think about the Nile being the only source, really, of water in that desert land. They die without it. There are no cattle. There are no crops. No drinking water. Nothing without the Nile. Think about this. The Nile was also a source of food. They would get fish out of the Nile River. They would have seafood, I guess you would say. And also, they irrigated their crops through all of this. They were uh, very advanced for their time. And so they could grow crops. They could have pasture. They could have cattle. Everything, everything depended upon the Nile. And the Nile is disputed as the longest river in the world, depending on who you talk to. I mean, regardless, it is very, very, very significant. And so the idea that the Nile would not be providing all of those things for Egypt, that seemed 
just implausible to anyone. It was their transportation and navigation for trade. And so the Nile not only affected whether they got water to drink or crops to grow, it was basically their economy. Okay? Everything depended upon the Nile. You know, I heard somebody say the other day on the radio, uh, I know we're facing a lot of things, but there will always be an America. That made me go, hmm, really? The American economy, it'll bounce back because it's the greatest in the world. Do we know that for sure? Technology will always be there to benefit us. Science will always find the answers. Those are the presumptions that we make in 21st century America. When this uh, virus thing first hit and people were doing all of the panic buying... Was it weird when you walked into a store and you saw empty shelves? I've never seen that in my life. And there were different things that I'd go to the store for and I'd have the list that Sammy gave me and I'd be looking and I don't see anything here. I see this and I have to call her. I see this and this but I don't see this. There's nothing but just expanses of empty shelves. The shortage of toilet paper. Where did that come from? I mean, we look at those things, things that we just presume will always be there. We'll always have air conditioning. We'll always have heat. We'll always have a safe place to sleep. We will always have our health. We will always have food. We will always, and presumption on all of those things. Well, that's what was hitting the Egyptians. If you had told them what would shut down the Nile River, they would say nothing. Nothing at all. It'll always be there. Whatever happens on the peripheral of things, we'll always have the Nile. So what is God doing as he judges them? He is striking the very thing they worshipped, the very thing that they prayed to. They had prayers where they would give thanks to the Nile. They considered the Nile the source of life. What an affront to the true and the living God who is the source of life. So what did God do? He hit them where it hurts. He hit them where they were just presuming everything will always stay the same. Nothing will ever change. And it's kind of like it says in the Bible about the coming of Christ. People say, ah, oh, from the beginning all things can continue as they are. Where is the promise of his coming? Well, that's kind of the way they were about the Nile. Nothing can happen to that. Egypt will always be here. The Nile will always be here and we are favored. And the Nile is the source and the sustainer of life. Well, it doesn't surprise me that God would have something to say about that because he said, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is the showdown of God flexing his muscle, as we said last week, and showing them who really is boss, who really is the creator, who really is the sustainer, where life really comes from, and it's not the Egyptian God of the Nile. Number three, notice that judgment changes blessings to curses. This river that had been such a blessing, this river that had caused the Egyptians to flourish, that caused them to have a world empire, to cause them to be the strongest nation on the face of the earth at that time. Irrigation for crops, fish for food, uh, and income, navigation, trade, drinking water, all of that kind of stuff. What happens now? Do you think that when the Nile turns into blood, those prayers of thanks are still being offered or that they still would even mean anything this river now as you can imagine 
and the Bible says it twice, it stinks. The smell is unbearable, much less the thought of drinking from it. You can't even hardly approach it. The fish are dying. Picture them as they are floating on the surface of the river, and the Egyptians are aghast. What in the world has happened here? Now, you notice that this was a very public miracle, wasn't it? This wasn't done in the palace. This wasn't done behind the scenes. This is extremely public. This is a showdown. These two guys stretch their rods out, and what happens? Everything turns to blood. And uh, so now, what had been a great blessing, what had been a source of beauty, what had been a source of life, what had been a source of gratitude and thankfulness, now all of a sudden becomes a curse. When the judgment of God comes upon people, those very things that they said we can't live without, all of a sudden, they choke on them. All of a sudden, they become worthless and meaningless and even detrimental. And I think we see that... uh, If you give a child everything that they want and your whole life is built around pleasing them and giving them what they want, they won't last past five or six years of age. You've got to discipline them. You've got to feed them right. You've got to make sure they get the proper rest. You've got to make sure they get to the doctor when they need to. All of those kind of things that take place. Well, the same thing is true in our life. And sometimes when God is judging you, what he does is he allows you All those things you craved and you craved, kind of like the children of Israel later on will find out when they're in the wilderness, we've got to have meat, we've got to have meat. God says, you want meat? I'll give you all the meat you want. In fact, you'll eat so much of this quail, it's going to be coming out your nose. In other words, you're going to throw it up. Sometimes God judges by turning blessings into curses. Things backfire on you. An illustration. Obviously, obviously, with what I do for a living, I love the First Amendment of the Constitution. Freedom of religion, that's a good thing. And for me, in particular, freedom of speech. To be able to talk about good and bad, right and wrong, and all of that, and the way of salvation. I love that. But have you noticed that one of the hallmark things, I mean, it's the First Amendment... First Amendment to the Constitution. And yet, what is it being used for now? Now there are people speaking so many perverse things. Things that are untrue. Things that are wicked. Things that are not beneficial and not helpful. And their rights are protected just like mine are. Now, when all of us are kind of thinking the same way... Freedom of speech is a great thing. And if somebody speaks something up, well, there are, you know, only about two of them that are doing it. Don't worry about it. But now, when it's starting to rise up and come around us and even to drown us out, notice how a blessing is starting to become a curse. Well, that's what happened with the Nile River. The blessing became a curse. And number four, that uh, judgment reveals the power of God. I don't think there's any question about that. Nations that rise up and say, no one can destroy us, have been destroyed. Nations that have uh, uh, been big and powerful and strong and evil, and then they looked invincible, they're gone now. We don't see them anymore. And we think about the way God 
takes those things and in Jeremiah chapter 1 it talks about he plants and then he uproots and those type of things that that always happens and we understand that that's the power of God and the power of God can take down Egypt even when Egypt seems invincible when no one else on the face of the earth would ever think that anything could bring down Egypt well rest assured God can and that's true for our country as well isn't it And so we think about this. It shows the power of God. But also in these verses, notice that it also shows the weakness of all others. Okay, here we go again. Moses and Aaron turn water to blood by the power of God. And then here come these demon-possessed sorcerers doing their enchantments. And what happens? Same thing that happened with the rods turning into the serpents, right? All of a sudden, they can turn water into blood, too. I've always wondered where they got the water. But uh, it happens. It turns water into blood. You say, doesn't that show the power of the enemy? Not really. No, no. we got to think. Put your thinking cap on. What did they do? They merely imitated what Moses and Aaron did or what God did through them, right? They couldn't come up with anything on their own. They only imitated. Now, let me ask you to think about something. What is the number one problem in Egypt at this particular time? The water is turned to blood. And what do these sorcerers and magicians do? Listen and think. They just made the problem worse. When all the water is turned to blood, you don't need more blood. If they had any kind of power, what would they have done? They would have reversed it. But they couldn't do it. All they could do is go, look, we can do that. We can do that. And they make the problem worse. And they actually don't fix it. I think when the judgment of God is being exercised on a nation, you start seeing people that, oh, look what I can do. And oh, we are so powerful. And their answers never really help. They make things worse. We look around and we see some of the policies that some of our government officials want to do. Defunding the police. Republicans, Democrats, independents. How could anyone think that that's a good idea? How could anyone think that's a good idea? You know what's happening? They're coming up with their solutions. And their solutions are actually making the problem worse. They're creating more blood instead of getting rid of the blood that's in the water. Why? Because they are powerless to do anything other than that. This is why in our country, we have got to turn back to God. Period. Period. And where is that going to begin? Well, Pharaoh's not going to do it. Wherever he may be and whatever position he may may be occupying in our life or in our government, he's not going to do it. Because the Bible never calls upon us to say, well, if the government will change, we will change. What God calls upon us to do is for us to change and humble ourselves before God. And then when the people of God get right, things begin to change in government and business and lifestyle and family and all of those kind of things. In other words, I believe that the direction America is going is not really laid at the foot of the White House or Congress. 
but it's probably God laying down charges at the church house. Where are the people of God? Why aren't we standing up? Why aren't we living a godly and holy life? Why are we not salt? Why are we not light? Why are we so silent? Why are we so mixed up? Why are we following the crowd? Why are we adopting the policies of the world? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Because when God exercises the consequences of judgment, He does it so that we might see His power and the weakness and the powerlessness of ourselves and of every human institution. This is why we've got to turn to God and we've got to get serious. If we were to say tonight we're going to gather and we're going to have a prayer meeting because our only hope is God, how many of you would come? How many people would come? Been my experience over about 40 years in ministry, the way to kill a meeting is to say we're going to pray. What's wrong with us? Why are our values so messed up and so backward on things? And so we've got to get this right. But understand that whenever the judgment of God comes, or the consequences of God's judgment comes, understand that the world's not going to see it. Their hearts, like Pharaoh's, are going to be hardened, and they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses, all kinds of, of uh, reasons for things other than God is uh, exercising judgment. Understand that hearts are going to become harder. The Bible even tells us that in the great tribulation, God is going to pour all kinds of judgment out. And what are men going to do? They're going to shake their fist in his face and curse God. Hearts become harder during the judgment. And understand, too, that people's lives are going to get desperate. This is not going to be easy for the Egyptians. This is not going to be easy for the people that are living there who may or may not have had anything to do with Egyptian slavery. But it does affect all of them. The hail and the lice and the flies and the frogs and the death and all of that. It falls upon all of them, doesn't it? And we're going to see as we go through some things here in the United States that life until and unless we turn back to God is going to get not easier but more difficult for people. And that's where we have to be ready to have mercy and to have compassion and to be willing to help them and help them most by telling the truth, being unafraid to speak what is right, not letting the enemy silence us any longer, but also being there to lend a helping hand or to alleviate suffering or whatever it is that we can do because people are going to get desperate and the emptiness of religion, of government, of social effort and all of that is going to be exposed. Because we're going to find out after a while that when you've got rot in your soul, when you've got a moral decay taking place in a society, painting it's not going to fix it. Just fixing it up and making it look good is not going to fix the problem. It's going to continue to decay. Can I get an amen on that? You ever been to the dentist? What do they do? My tooth hurts. Oh, well, let's use some whitener on it. No, I need a filling. Do something for the decay that is in the tooth. Well, if we're not careful, what happens is we let everything. We think that if we can spend a few more trillion dollars, it'll fix everything. It won't fix anything. 
And you can't make people happy by capitulating to them. And you're not going to make people happy by declaring things that were illegal, no longer illegal, or by removing law enforcement or any of those things. It's actually going to get worse, not better. And so we look at these kind of things and see some of the same stuff happening that maybe it'll be a good thing. God exposes the emptiness of just religion and government programs and all of those kind of things to show that we really need to know Him. And that all brings me down to this point. Child of God, believers must be ready. Moses and Aaron, they did all that the Lord told them to do. That's a refreshing thing, isn't it? They did it just as the Lord commanded, the Bible says. And that's the way you and I need to be living our lives. We don't need to panic, and we don't need to change in terms of what the Bible says. We don't need to change in terms of what we understand to be truth. And uh, when we're standing in the truth, just stand in it. Just be a child of God. Just be kind. Be loving. Be merciful. But be truthful as well. And I'm afraid that in this day now, a lot of churches, we're willing to lend a hand, we're willing to help, but we don't really want to say anything because it might offend people. And what we are doing is withholding the very thing that they need. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God, right? Jesus said, you shall know the truth. That's the Word of God. The truth, and the truth shall make you free. And by the silence of believers, we're actually allowing the world around us to get into deeper and deeper and deeper trouble and bondage. And we sit by with our arms folded and our mouths shut and uh, think, oh, isn't that a terrible thing? And we're really not loving God or loving our neighbor when we are silent about those things. Now, I'm not saying be militant and mean and condemning and all of that. But I am saying that while we are being kind and being merciful and being gracious, can we not also be truthful and make sure that we stand up for what is right? Because I believe that God has already judged America and has found her wanting. Now, whether that is a final judgment that's irreversible, I don't know, and I don't think you do or anyone else does either. It may be that God is giving us space to repent. I pray that he does. And I pray for a revival among our churches. And I pray for a spiritual awakening in the United States of America. Could you join me in that prayer? Amen? And so we need to think about this. We need to be ready. Times may get tough. And families may be in trouble. They already are. The economy may go into further trouble and decay and jobs may be hard to find I don't know I don't know but I do know this God will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory that's a promise that's a fact and that as God does that he does that so that we might be salt and light in a country and in a culture and in situations where we're desperately needed and just coming and huddling inside this building will do none of them any good We've got to get outside of the walls of the church. On the, I believe it's Sunday night, the 28th, it's on my heart that we would host our policemen and law enforcement and first responders 
and we'll have a dinner here at the church for them. We're going to need your help, and if you can give anything toward that, we would appreciate it. It may cost us. I don't know. There may be some people that don't appreciate us doing that, but I think it's worth the risk to support these people who put their lives on the line for us. I think this is a part of being salt and light, and I've kind of got a vision of maybe taking when we're able to kind of get moving in a more normal thing to take uh, the Sunday night service and use it more for ministry and to use it more for outreach and to use it more to touch people's lives. And there's some varieties of ways that we can do that. And uh, don't say amen to this, but I think sometimes the last thing we need is another service to gather and hear more preaching that we're just going to ignore. We need to be doing something with what we already know. Don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. You see what I'm saying? And so as we look at all of this and we see the judgment of God, do you see any parallels to the life that we're living now? Right? You see it? So what are we going to do? Well, there was another instance in the Bible where God did something to water. There was a wedding at Cana. And they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother came and said, Son, we're out of wine. And Jesus said, Why is that my problem, basically? And uh, being a good Jewish mother, she didn't listen to her son. She tells the servants, Whatever he says, do it. It's a pretty good rule for life, isn't it? And so they said, What do you want us to do? And Jesus said, Take all those pots, those outside big pots that people would wash in and all of that, fill them up with water, and when they did, the water turned to blood? No, wine. Wine is a symbol of joy. A symbol of joy in the Bible. You know what Jesus does? In judgment, he can turn the blessings into a curse. But under grace, he can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary and bring great joy because that is the joy of the Lord is our strength and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'd kind of like a dose of that, wouldn't you? I'd kind of like to experience that and I would especially like during these dark days for my family, for my kids and my grandkids to see the joy and the peace and the satisfaction of the Lord in my life. And I would like for lost people to be able to see that in me and in you so that our light shines before men and they see our good works and they glorify our Father which is in heaven. And why is it that we would tell them well, you'll get the symbolism here because our water wasn't turned to blood. Our water was turned to wine. We have the joy of the Lord and we have the opportunity to tell them about a God who created everything. Only one God, the living and the true God. And how we as human beings have sinned against Him and we have every right to expect His judgment and eternal judgment in hell. But oh, this God so loved us that he sent his son. And his son fulfilled the requirements of God completely, completely. And he was arrested and he was tried and he was nailed to a cross. Even though the judge said, I find no fault in him. He went along with the crowd. Talk about injustice. 
and was nailed to a cross and there God poured his wrath on his own son so that he wouldn't have to pour it upon us. And so the blood of Jesus there is kind of like the water turning into wine. The blood of Jesus is not a curse for us. It's our liberation. It takes us out from under the curse of sin and God indwells us with the spirit of his resurrected son, places us in his kingdom and walks with us through life and then takes us to heaven when it's all over and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Can anybody say amen to that? And that's the hope that we have. Watching on live stream, did you hear that? Have you trusted and surrendered to Jesus as Lord? Here in the congregation, have you trusted Jesus? Have you surrendered to him as Lord of everything in your life and trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection as the full, and I need to say this, and only payment for your sin. That's how you become righteous before God by surrendering to him as the Lord of your life. I pray that you will. And I pray that as we go through these dark times, I don't know what the future holds. I don't like 2020 so far. Do you? Hadn't been very good. Just one thing after another. I don't know if that'll continue or maybe the Lord will give us a reprieve. I pray that he does. But I know our marching orders as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have not changed. And they will not change. And we must be found faithful. Let's let our lives count in this purposeless and useless and dark and confusing time. Let's let our lives have meaning and purpose. And let's stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we close now, we close, Lord, with marching orders to go carry out the gospel everywhere we go, to love you supremely and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to look around at these dark, confusing times and to interpret them properly, to respond to them biblically, and to be led by the Spirit of God to be an ambassador for Christ everywhere we go. Make us fruitful. Make us intentional. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse us from sin and distraction. Grow us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And may we be found faithful unto death for your glory alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.